Hello, Game of Lifers, and happy Thanksgiving. Of course, I am thankful for all of you out there being on this podcast with me today, but a little bit more thankful for the turkey and candy yams I'm about to stuff down my face soon. This week is a special one. I'm thankful for everyone that has came on this podcast and shared their in-depth insight in their respective fields at the highest level. So we are going to go into the best of the best podcast version too. So instead of hanging out with relatives all day that you don't really care about, you can get away from them and lose yourself in the Game of Life podcast with me. I have selected over the last 15 episodes the top clips and points that I think are really valuable takeaways for everyone out there. From Winston Justice, one of the top offensive linemen ever to play in the NFL. Ben Greenfield, the top trainer, biohack, life hack, human optimization man in the world. Jeff Jordan, former CEO of PayPal, investor extraordinaire, venture capitalist. Kevin Arnovitz, ESPN Magazine's NBA lead writer. Two-time NBA champion James Michael McAdoo, live from the beaches of Maui. John Day, a longevity expert and a mentor of mine. John Farwell, live from the Sea of Galilee in Israel. Winston Justice, behind the scenes in the NFL. The best of the best starts right now. Starts off with a bang, and the moment you realized, man, I'm in the NFL. The moment I realized it was NFL was probably my first game. My first game was uh, the Hall of Fame game in 2005 against the Raiders. And um, I remember going out there for my first play, and um, uh, I got down in my stance, and um, I said to myself, man, I'm playing in the NFL now. Like, this is for real. Because, (laughs) like, you know, when you get drafted, there's a big, long process. So um, I, I declared for the draft as a junior, so... First, you declare for the draft, and then you prepare to, for the combine. Then you go to the combine. Then you prepare for mm-hmm. your pro day. Then you go to uh, minicamp. Then you go to uh, camp. And then finally, you get to play in the game. So it, it's a real long process, and, th- and that's not even taking into account the actual you know years in high school and college you actually uh, get prepared to go to the NFL. And then when it actually happens, you know, it, it's um, it's a uh, it's a good feeling, but you know, it's like you're at the base of the mountain and now you need to climb another mountain, you know? Yeah. So, um, so it's like you put in all that time to get there. And once you get there, you get that one second to realize, man, this is where I wanted to get. And now every single day I have to keep going yeah. to get to the top of this. Exactly. But walk us through like right before you're going to run out to kickoff, maybe like the first 10 minutes before you're going to run off to kickoff. How are you feeling? What are you doing? Are you throwing oh. up in the bathroom? Like they do in the oh. movies. What's, oh, what's going through? Um, Okay, let me just compare an NFL locker room to a uh, baseball locker room. Okay. So I went and visited the Phillies base, baseball locker room, and they were just hanging out. They were playing video games. <laughs> People were talking to each other, having a good time. You know, they're in, 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 like, they're about to play a big game. Like, like, they're, they're a big playoff game, right? Yep, yep. Before a, a preseason NFL game, <laughs> people are talking to themselves. People are throwing up. People are nervous. People are praying, you know, because yeah. – Guys, you would never see praying during the week. They are praying for a game. Tense as can totally be. Different. Yeah, so it's totally different. Yeah, so that's, so, and that's right for a game, you know, because you need to get your psych, get, get psyched up because, I mean, if you've ever been, I, I'm not sure if you ever, if this happened to you, and I'm sorry, this isn't a short answer, but if okay. you've ever been in school, all right, and you're about to get in a fight yeah. after school, all right, and you have that nervous feeling like, oh, man, I'm about to fight this guy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> It's kind of like that's how it is in, in like a game. Like, oh man, I'm about to fight this guy. I mean, 
I have confidence I could do it, but like, yeah. what if I lose? And I doubt Winston ever lost in a fight, judging by the size of him. So now none of you guys ever have to wonder what it's like to be an NFL player. You know everything from Winston. Okay, so now we're going to jump to Ben Greenfield. Ben is literally the smartest guy I know on the face of planet of anything human optimization. Whether it's nutrition, sleep, recovery, what you should be doing for your personalized workouts. Ben is an absolute machine. He's going to talk about in his segment here how to optimize your travel and recovery when you're on an airplane, jet lag. And he's also going to give us an in-depth look on his morning routine, his daily routines, his biohacks, his life hacks, and how he's going to take over the NBA. That whole like get seven to nine hours of sleep a night, that, that's outdated knowledge, right? You, you're looking at right. sleep cycles, not, not sleep hours. So that's number one. Number two is, you know, well, let me get, let me give you an example of me on a plane, right? Like I'll sleep like a baby on a plane, right? Like, so I'm flying to, uh, to, to Finland on Monday. I'll just be out for, for eight hours. And it's not because I'm taking Valium and red wine and doing all these things that frankly are not going to allow me to perform well when my feet hit the ground, when I get over Finland, instead I use a few simple techniques, um, Number one, it flies under the radar, but there's a very simple device made by a company called Fisher Wallace called a Circadia. You attach a, an electrode to either side of your head. It induces uh, an immediate decrease in cortisol, an increase in dopamine, an increase in serotonin. Incredibly safe, incredibly effective, and it knocks you out like a baby within 20 minutes. Even if you're stressed out, if you've got a lot of thoughts racing through your mind, you're just out. And what I'll do is combine that with a you know full wraparound sleep mask and then some noise-blocking headphones through which I will play what are called binaural beats. Uh, it's like a DJ for sleep. You can actually uh, choose whether you want to do like a light sleep, deep sleep, whatever. Uh, and so I'll set up those binaural beats, and they, they also block any noise, you know, the, the dings of the person next to you asking for the flight attendant or, you know, or, or you know, somebody pushing their cart through an aisle, whatever. Uh, and using the circadia, using the sleep mask, using the noise-blocking headphones with the binaural beats, uh, I can be out and I can sleep like a baby. And, and while I'm sleeping, I'm recovering, right? So I, I for example, I, I travel wearing shoes and the shoes uh, send, a, send a, a special signal down to my feet while I am sleeping that massage the feet and keep blood flow going in the feet. You know, in, in addition to, you know, a lot of athletes know about compression socks and compression tights on the plane, but not many people know that you can just have devices in your shoes that keep the blood flowing through your feet and your legs during an entire flight makes a night and day difference when you get off the plane. The other thing that I use uh, when I'm on the plane is what's called a pulsed electromagnetic field device. I turn it on. I set it beside my back while I'm asleep. And what that does is it actually it blocks a lot of the deleterious effects of being 40,000 feet off the ground for long periods of time. The human body was meant to be in touch with the planet, in touch with the ground. You know, there, There's a physician who I've known for quite some time, Dr. Jeff Spencer, who's done a ton of work with Tour de France athletes who have to repair and recover overnight during that brutal multi-stage event. And they, you know, they just get out of bed the next day and, and compete for eight to 10 hours day after day after day. Well, they'll sleep on mats that actually allow them to simulate the same effect as our ancestors would have had if they were like camping or sleeping on the ground. Cause the earth actually emits uh, a very cool healing, uh, magnetic field. It's about seven to eight hertz or so in, in terms of the frequency, like a very low frequency magnetic field. You can have a device that creates that same magnetic field and have it underneath your seat on an airplane. 
So you're, you're reducing a lot of the deleterious effects of, of things like uh, jet lag, for example, when you're flying. I mean, that, that's just a very simple example of like, just like, you know, how to sleep when you're traveling and how to ensure that when you're, when your feet hit the ground, when you're traveling and you've got to compete, you know, within a few hours after you get off the airplane or, or the next day or, or the next morning or the next evening, you're actually ready to rumble and, and, you know, flying on the airplane and, and the lack of sleep often associated with that does not come back to bite you in the butt. Man, that, that info right there literally could help teams win five to 10 more games. I would say it could. it's it dumb. I mean, I'm not could. saying you don't put the hard work in on the court, but sure. everybody, I mean, everybody's competed in, in pro sports knows this. Like if, if, if your competitor is, has 85% of the skill that you do, or the, the, the team is, is, is far less stacked than you are, but they're on nine hours of sleep and you're on, you're, you're on five hours of sleep. It, it doesn't matter. Um, you're probably going to get your ass waxed. Exactly. And it's, it's like, why wouldn't you want to be functioning at a hundred percent of your level, your, your tank on full, especially in a league that they play 82 games. Think about all those flights and all those miles. Wow. Sometimes they're three games and four nights and it's, I'm, it's extremely I, taxing. I, I get it. I mean, I'm, I'm not playing professional ball, yeah. but I, I'm partially on the road 20 days out of every month, I'm right? right? And, 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 and it's not like I'm traveling to go lay on the beach, right? Like I get to yeah. play and go, go talk to CEOs and physicians and, you know, and, and compete in obstacle course races. And so I, I get it. Ben, this is, this is huge. I would literally hire you on the spot just to be a travel consultant on how to sleep on the planes. All right, now let's take an in-depth look at Ben's biohacks and routines that he goes through during his day and what you can take away and learn from him to use in your own uh, basics get up basics yep uh wake up do five minutes of gratitude journaling while i'm doing my gratitude journaling i test my nervous system in exactly the way that i talked about earlier so i can see exactly how i'm supposed to train and what my body can handle that day i roll out of bed while the coffee's on i i foam roll and i stretch i hit in the areas that need to be targeted usually i'm doing uh some form of uh of light therapy especially because of the amount that i travel to reduce jet lag um got a whole bunch of different devices that I use to to mitigate jet lag and assist with the normalization of my circadian rhythm and so I'm kind of hitting all that while the uh while the coffee's on and then I I have coffee and I'll read for about an hour uh, all the latest research articles medicine articles science journals uh and then uh, once once all that's done I've filled my head with knowledge for the day that I can go out and, and apply and and write about and teach to my my clients and the folks who I work with I'll generally do uh something pretty easy in the morning because your body temperature, your grip strength, your testosterone, your post-workout recovery, protein synthesis, all that peaks between about 4 and 7 p.m. in the day. So in the morning, I don't do a hard, you know, CrossFit workout or, you know, hard weight training. I'll usually do something very therapeutic. So like this morning, it was a walk in the sunshine doing deep nasal breathing and some breath hold what's called a uh, uh, static apnea tables because i do a lot of free diving and spear fishing so i enhance my lung capacity by doing things like breath holds and nasal breathing while i'm walking uh other mornings i'll do uh, I, i'll do uh, infrared sauna again great for recovery growth hormone repair collagen synthesis and then i'll follow that up with about five minutes in the in the cold pool right and then so it's usually like a half hour of, of something kind of deep and restorative and then uh once I've done all that, I jump into the day, right? For me, that consists of, of consult calls with clients and meetings and yep. 
emails and, and, you know, I write for books and write for magazines and, um, you know, and, and I do, uh, do podcasting, produce videos. So the rest of the day, I'm just deep into production mode, but yeah, I mean, generally the, the day always starts with, uh, testing my nervous system, doing a little bit of journaling, taking care of a few little, you know, aches and pains and niggles and here and there with the, with the foam roller and, and, uh, a few recovery tools and then, uh, you know, coffee, reading, light workout and jump into the day. An absolute wealth of knowledge right there. I would encourage you all to continue to check out everything Ben is doing and learning from him. Now we're going to jump to Jeff Jordan, venture capitalist in Silicon Valley. He's going to tell you how he looks and how his venture capitalist looks at investing into companies and how rare it is to hit a home run and some tips and trades that you can take into your own investment portfolio. So when you look at a company, what goes into, hey, this is a company we think is going to be really good. This is who we want to put our time, effort, and energy behind. Walk me through like just the whole process of what that what that looks like. You know, it depends a little bit on the stage. We're, we're, we refer to our, what we do as stage agnostic. We only invest in tech companies, but we can do it from when it's like one person with an idea to when it's, you know, kind of up and running and flying. Um, but uh, the biggest commonality across all those is the people who are starting the company, the founders. Um, and, you know, at, at the end of the day, you're betting on, a, on the person. So what you're trying to do is assess the person. Ideally, that person has a, an interesting idea or traction in it and, and things like that. But you really want to understand that person because, you know, you want someone who has vision, can see the future, who um, who it can can convince other people of their vision of the future. I call it storytelling. I mean, because you have to tell your story to investors, to employees, to, to, to customers, you know, just have to be able to do that. And then the biggest one is you need persistence. Um, someone who will, you know, when, when barriers get thrown up in front of them and they always do in, in new companies, they just you know, they, they climb over them, they run through them, they go around them and, but they just keep persisting because you know, the, 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 the good ones will be doing what they're doing probably for the rest of their lives. And, you know, they're the people you want to back the people who just say, I'm doing this. I love it. I'm changing the world, you know, get out of my way. And uh, I, I'm privileged to work with a number of guys. I mean, even at, at a venture firm where we, we have a whole firm out beating the bushes for deals and you know, we fund 1% of the deals we see, half our businesses, half our deals don't earn a positive return. Yeah. So if, if with our deal flow and the fact we do it for a living, our hit rate is about 50%. If you have a, a, a slimmer deal flow and you don't do it for a living, I mean, 50% would be an aspiration. So that means you're going to lose all your money, you know, at least half the time. And so you got to be prepared to lose it, you know, before you invest it in my view. Wow. So you get 1% of the companies that come to you making a pitch is the percentage you take? Yeah, and that's on a referred basis. So each year between twenty, we're, you know, we'll only really consider your deal if you if you manage to get it referred to us because that's like the first hurdle. You know, just yep. like okay, if you're not connected enough to, you know, if you're not in in in. in inventive or ingenious right. enough to get to us, that that's a bad first step. So of those deals, we'll see 2,500 or 3,000 a year and we'll invest in about 25. All right, there you go. So you see how rare it is to find the next Twitter or Facebook. Good luck. Be ready to lose it all if you're going to become an angel investor. That's all I got to say. 
Next up, we have Kevin Arnovitz. Kevin is a writer for ESPN Magazine, the NBA, and is one of the top writers overall in any type of classification. Kevin's going to talk to us about what he sees the NBA being like in 2030, 2050, basically what's coming next in the NBA, and you're going to hear it here first from Kevin Arnovitz. What do you think the NBA is going to be like, let's say, 2030 or 2050 what do you think's next coming in the nba let's start with there's there's different realms for sure let's start with like the marketing and growing the business side of it yeah i you know i I think we're in a really interesting moment because by and large there's this revenue these these various revenue streams that make up uh, the nba business right and 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 Ticket sales and suites and sponsorships and broadcast revenue, both national and each team's local deal, uh, merchandising and licensing and and, and all that. So uh, I, I think in so many ways, a lot of those revenue streams are very uncertain going forward. I mean, people are going to be watching games, of course, but the broadcast industry is being disrupted right now. And, you know, I, I, I think who knows who will how the game will be distributed coming forward we're all watching stuff on our phones and and cutting the cord and watching things on laptops and and now you're looking at vr and and will there will the game watching experience even remotely will we talk about that back in the day when you used to sit on your couch and you had a big tv (laughs) and there was a flat screen and you just watched the action between the baselines and and i think there's there's some evidence that you know that experience might change and and then, so I, I think that's that, that's one big piece of it. The other is China, of course, and and, yeah. and the glo- global distribution of the game. We know that there are countries that are crazy about it, about the NBA and the product. The question becomes, you know, how do you monetize that? I mean, how like, can we crack the code on China? And uh, from a distribution standpoint, I, I think, I mean, if there are, you know. If, couple hundred million people in China eager to watch this game on a regular basis. Obviously, that represents a huge revenue stream for the league. So, you know, I, I think that's going to be I, I think that's going to be one of the existential questions for the league. And if they can crack it, wow, you could imagine an NBA where, uh, frankly, the American consumer is probably less important than the Chinese one in the next generation. Probably so. uh, and, and that, that would be a really interesting uh, wrinkle for the game. Well, if you enjoy the NBA, get ready to move to China in 2050. No, but in all reality, Kevin is a very forward thinker, and he's on the cutting edge of what is coming next in the NBA. And be on the lookout for more articles from him, because you will get exactly these tips and teasers soon to be out in ESPN. Next up, we have one of my very close friends. We record live from the beaches in Maui, James McAdoo, two-time NBA champion, talking about his relationship with Christ, work-life balance, and going to Africa and the pure joy that he found in the kids that had absolutely nothing. We're all blessed with different abilities. Mine just so happens to be that I'm, you know, 6'8 and can play basketball. And that's something that I realized at a very young age when I'm growing up. My parents always, you know, instilled in me that, you know, basketball is great, but first and foremost, your relationship with Christ is the number one thing in your life. So I think that, you know, as a believer in Christ, you know, like we talked about, when I wake up each and every day, I realize that I have an opportunity to not only just use my platform, you know, because 
not all believers are professional athletes, but they still have platforms. Yeah. But I realized that, you know, with the relationships and the people that I meet, you know, you, you might only have one shot at, you know, um, talking, to them, talking to them about my relationship with Christ. So I think for me, you know, going into the NBA, I realized it was going to be a test. It was going to be a challenge, you know. Um, obviously, not everyone is a believer. And then when you get into the NBA, you add money, you add fame, you add success. You know, with those things, which are all great and all, um, but with those things come a lot of uh, challenging things in terms of, you know, when you're a believer, um, a lot of times you can, you know, find yourself in a situation you might not necessarily want to be in. So I think for me, the biggest thing was accountability. And that's something that, you know, we have, you know, we, you know, during the mm-hmm. season, I feel like we talk, you know, at least once a week, if not more. And I think that's probably the biggest thing for me, you know, going into the NBA and obviously like, my beautiful wife, Lauren, um, just being that that rock, you know, that I can always lean on, I, I, I can always depend on, you know, words don't describe, you know, obviously what she yeah. means to me and how she's helped me. Uh, because it's a challenge, man, you know, being on the road and, Definitely you know, a challenge. long Temptations, days. You know, yep. Yeah. So, but it's, it's great, man. You know, just like any athlete that faces an obstacle or a challenge, you know, I consider um, – the same thing with my faith, you know what I mean? Like when my, when I find myself in tough situations, I always know I can lean on God. Now tell me if anybody would ever do this after they win their NBA championship. After winning the NBA championship, I hopped on a plane to Nairobi, Kenya with about 15 other people um, that were going over there to be a part of a basketball camp that's called One Died for All Basketball Camp. One died for all, obviously, um, pointing to Jesus Christ. When I say that word, bless, like, I'm not talking about, like, fancy cars or, you know, know, being able to go on vacation. I'm just talking about clean drinking water and having shoes on your feet or, you know, having both your parents in your life. Things like that where, you know, it just, you know, I teared up numerous times. You know, these kids, man, they just, but, like, you wouldn't even know it. You know what I mean? Like. The joy, like, the joy that these kids had was something that I can't really even put into word. James McAdoo is one of the most genuine people you will ever meet in the NBA. Very cool to see how his relationship with Christ has helped him grow and continue to grow in the NBA. Speaking of the NBA, next on we have Gary Sachs, the Clippers general manager who built the Clippers to what they have become and taking over the Los Angeles Lakers, and he's going to tell you how he got to that point and how he managed to put together one of the greatest turnarounds ever in the NBA. We talk about your your rise to the top and, and how you made it up there. Well, you know, going on that same, furthering that theme of being indispensable, I mean, the, the one thing I realized really quickly, and you know, this is another thing that I think I would tell people out there, um, make sure that you understand what, you're, the people you're working for are looking for. So for me, I understood they weren't looking for my opinion on players. Boy, I had a lot of opinions. And sometimes I would you know, have to hold, bite my tongue a little bit. Um, but I knew that the one thing that they were looking for from me was trust and loyalty. Yeah. And so you know, it, it, it probably slowed down my rise in the organization or in the NBA. Um, but that's a good thing because it allowed me to kind of make a name for myself with the people that I worked with that they knew that no matter what, that, that I had their back and that 
you know, they could trust me and that, you know, I kept my mouth shut and, and, and did the work. And when, when I was asked a question, that's when I answered it. I think a lot of people have so much insight, so much knowledge, and they want to, exactly. um, they want to say it, but a lot of times I think it's really important to, to, um, to, to let people know that you're not, you're not there for anything else, but to help the team. Talk, talk to me about behind the scenes of a day in the life of an NBA GM. And you can talk about whether it's during the season, maybe you're going into draft draft prep, playoff prep, just a behind-the-scenes look into how much an NBA GM has to put in. So I don't think people really understand. Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, I think one thing that, that, that people may, may not know about when you're, when you're an executive with a team, whether it's a GM or assistant GM or you're, you know front office person, uh, is that there's there's no set of you know instructions or rules? <laughs> yeah, it's good. So a lot of that is is kind of you have to decide what you want to do and how you want to how you want to spend your days. Um, I think the 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 biggest thing is, is since there is no job description per se. I mean, there's obviously responsibilities that everybody has, and you know you're 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 in charge of the franchise and from the basketball side. But you know there's still some you know you still have to have a working relationship and integration with um, the business side as well. So, right. and, and, and certainly you spend a lot of time, um, you know, uh, keeping your ownership, um, kind of involved in, in, in what's going on, maybe not day to day, but sort of in the big picture. And then when, when certain, you know, bigger milestones occur or events or signings and things like that. So, um, from a standpoint of, um, you know, uh, the type of job it is, I think people don't realize it is, it's not a job. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, it's 24 seven and 365. And I, I don't, I don't mean you're working, you know, in, you know, in the office, maybe all the, all that time, but you're in, you're in, you know, you're in a lot of meetings and, you know, st- strategic planning and, and, and coming up with, um, you know, the, 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 the overall plan from short term to long term, um, and constantly revising that based on new information that you're getting. And a lot of it is information gathering and then synthesizing that information, utilizing all the people that, that work with you um, and trying to sift through all that information and make great decisions. And you, you can't do it alone. You've got to do it as a team. Ultimately your name is going to be on it, of course, whether yeah. it's good or bad, but um, you're only as strong as the people that you, that, that you work with. And like, to me, that's the biggest, and then that's also the biggest benefit of doing it is is being a part of a team you know continuing that same theme um if you're if you're a player you're you're part of the team um with your your guys that you play with but you're also the you know the front office you're part of that small team that that runs the team but you're also part of the the, the bigger team and um so from a day-to-day standpoint you know there's there's so many things you know you're working with agents to try to find out um you know what's going on around the league talking to other teams about potential trades um talking with your own people um you know, and then of course you're, you know, you're executing trans- transactions and spending time talking to people from the league as far as uh, what's going on um, with your team, if there's any issues that you need to deal with. So uh, you spend a lot of time with your head coach um, every day, mm-hmm. trying to kind of uh, gauge what's going on um, in terms of, uh, you know, the players and the coaching staff and the support staff, and um, make sure that you know really the job of a GM is to support everyone that works everyone i mean yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a servant leadership um position and i've heard that phrase a lot but i i I genuinely believe that and i think that it's just the single biggest attribute you have to have in in the industry in my opinion to be successful is humility and understand that 
you're you're you know you're you're tasked with something that's really important, but it's not about you. Uh, it's about the team, and 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 you always have to keep that in mind, even when you're going through a a daily routine. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. certainly there's certainly there's times when you know you're returning emails and you're you know, you're having meetings and you're, um, you're out on the road, you're seeing games and you're with your team and, you know, you're traveling with the team or you're seeing games at the, at the, at the arena and you're talking to, you know, you season ticket holders and fans and, uh, media and you're doing a lot of that stuff. So your time is really, really, um, uh, valuable. So you have to make the most of it, but, um, it, it becomes a job that at anything can happen at any time. So you just have yeah. to be prepared for that. And certainly, like you mentioned, it's cyclical. I mean, right now it's the summer, so things are slowing down a little bit. Um, this is a good time to take a little bit. People take a little bit of a break, but for the most part, you're still working because yep. um, there's still you know development going on, and there's still maybe a few roster spots, and you're starting to look with an eye towards next year and, and setting up your meetings um, going into the season, setting up training camp, and so um, it never ends. But it's a, it's a it's a great process, and you have to enjoy the journey, and you have to enjoy the process. And if you do that and, and, and you remain humble and you remain focused on the goal, I think you can be successful. Um, you have to have a little bit of good luck in there. And I'm not going to understate that. Um, but yeah. I think the day-to-day routine is, is um, it's, it's so diverse every day that it's be hard to sit down. I could, I could spend an hour just going over some of the things that a GM does. Two things that I, I learned in my life so far. And I, you know what? The big thing for me is, um, I'm, I'm still learning. Like I consider myself a learn it all. And what I don't want to be is a, is a know it all. And I, and, and that's something that I got from Kevin Eastman, who's, who's a good friend, but you know, being a learn it all is what you want to do in your life. So you never stop learning. And I, I don't know the answer <laughs> even today. Yeah. I still don't know the answer, but one, two, two pieces of it. One is that people always used to tell me you can do anything, you yeah. know, you can do anything. And and, and that's true. I mean, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. I honestly believe that. Um, but I think the other thing that people used to tell me when I was young is, well, you're young and you've got your whole life ahead of you. Can do, you, you can, you know, don't worry about making decisions and don't worry about, you know, when you get older, you can, you can really focus on what you, you know, what you want to do, what you need to do. And the one thing that I took from that was, you know, if you have something that you love or you want to do and you're 13, 14 or in college or, or graduating from college, um, whatever it is, don't wait, yep. do put yourself in a position. If you want to be in the NBA, go get an internship with, uh, you know, some, some, you know, go, go volunteer as a, as a scorekeeper for a high school team or something, whatever, it doesn't matter. Do something that, that you can start building your resume, but don't wait on that. Don't listen to the people who tell you you have plenty of time. Um, get on it early because the diff- the truth is, it's going to help you no matter what. And if you move into another field, you decide that that's not what you want to do and you want to become a, you know, a, an attorney or you want to become a, um, a, a school teacher or whatever it is, a doctor, a uh, fireman, you can always switch. And the, the experience that you got for, for doing what you wanted, thought you wanted to do before is not going to go away and it's not going to harm you. So my thing is don't wait. Start, you can start as a, as a, if you're in middle school. You can start to put yourself in a position. Sure, if you're an athlete, you play sports, and that's great. But go talk to the coaches. Yeah. Uh, see if they can. You can help them with their game planning. Maybe they want a little. You know, just someone. You just want to listen in. You know, um, there's always something you can do to um, to start building your resume. And it doesn't. It, it might sound meaningless, and it might sound, you know, stupid to you. But 
for those of us who, who are looking at people who come to every day and come to us and say, man, you know, I have a huge passion for basketball. I'm nobody's, nobody would love to work in the NBA more than I would. You know, you want to know, okay, so what have you done about it? And that's exactly what we are here, too, on the Game of Life podcast. Just like Gary Sachs, general manager of the Los Angeles Clippers, we are learn-it-alls, always wanting to self-improve, become the best version of ourselves we can be. And if you want to become the best sleeper you can possibly be, well, you're in luck, because now we have Nick Littlehales talking about the myth of the eight hours, how he coached Ronaldo personally to become the best sleeper he can possibly be, and what you can take away for yourself. Everybody out there thinks if you ask them what's the most important thing about sleep, they're probably going to say, "Oh, you got to get eight hours," but it's not. And and you do a great job in the book telling exactly why it's not and what you should focus on more. So let's just lead into that. What um, what do you think is more important than the eight hours myth that people think about? Up until we invented the light bulb, human beings used to wander around doing biphasic, triphasic, multiphasic sleep-wake cycles. I think it is a myth because the evidence is there. You know, there's, uh, and I think what I like to think, you know, you do see research all the time and it sort of says, you know, if you lose 30 minutes worth of sleep, then certain performance factors might go down. Uh, if you increase your sleep, they might go up. Um, there's always this little caveat at the bottom that says we still don't know very much about this but it looks like if we took these group of people and deprived them of sleep and then gave them more sleep it got better I'm thinking well actually what this is about is probably look at it in a slightly different way but relevant is that within any 24 hour period in relationship with the sun up and sundown process the circadian rhythms as a human being, we most likely need around seven to eight hours, 30 to 33 percent of that time in a mental and physical recovery state, which you could call sleep. But you don't have to get the eight hours all at once. There it is. Have the best night's sleep you ever have had tonight. You want to know what else helps? Eat a ton of turkey with a tryptophan in it. Hey, that'll knock you out right there. Next up, we have one of my personal favorites and a hobby of mine, biohacking, nootropics, all the crazy testing on yourself. And we have Rihanna Stubbs of Human to tell us all about the ketone ester and why it is going to change the game of the athlete of the future. I guess like I'll, I'll, I'll stick with what I know and I'll say, you know, like consider um, using maybe like an exogenous ketone supplement. I mean, I, you kind of caught me a little <laughs> I think those two would be my top two. Yeah, you can go with top maybe two. Maybe in 10 right? years' time. Okay, and then once, yeah. You know, like we'll, say, we'll, say in, we'll say in 10 years' time, maybe people should be considering incorporating some sort of like uh, ketosis, whether it's through fasting yeah. or whether it's through a drink. I mean, I think, yeah. um, but I mean, maybe something that people can implement right here, right now would be like a mindfulness practice. And so mm -hmm. that really was transformative for me when I started using the Headspace app and making a little bit wow. of time for whether it's, whether it's guided meditation, like Headspace or like a gratitude journal or something like that. It's really a really powerful way of keeping your soul happy. Give the audience three ways, three main ways that you can think of to increase longevity, whether it's increased longevity of their lifespan or just being able to uh, live each day to its optimal performance level for uh, a better life. So I think the two, the top two that spring to mind uh, is regular 
exercise because exercise uh it like induces autophagy inside the cells so it encourages cells to clean themselves up it doesn't have to be you know i'm not going to set you an exercise regimen but like moving around and being active that's a really important part of like mental and physical health and well-being and will expand extend your health span and your lifespan if you're mindful and and sensitive about how you exercise and the second thing would be to consider trying some sort of intermittent fasting or time restricted eating so that you give your cells and your metabolism time to really reset in between periods of feeding intermittent fasting yeah i bet you guys are all doing that on thanksgiving huh but literally you got to check out the ketone ester it just came out it was just released all over the news cnn everything it will make you feel like iron man i kid you not i've tested it check it out it's gonna be a game changer now we're gonna find out how to live to a hundred from john day and his journey to longevity village china what we can take away from the people, the centurions, that had the very healthy lifestyle. And we go Jetsons mode, looking into the future again, on what people are going to be like hundreds of years down the road. When we looked at their genes, I was convinced that, uh, you know, I was going to see that they had won the genetic lottery. Right. But they didn't. They, they had the same genes that code for heart disease, dementia, cancer, etc., that, that we see here in the U.S. Their, their genes were no different. And what it really comes down to is what are called epigenetic factors, the daily little decisions, the lifestyle decisions you make each and every day determine which genes are turned on and which genes are turned off. And so the same as to us, we can unlock that, that DNA code to great health at 90 and beyond if we make those right decisions every day. What do you think? Just take a stab on this. I'm sure a lot of people ask you this, and you don't have to have the answer, obviously, but let's go Jetsons mode. Where do you think people will be 100, 100 years from now? Do you think people will be taking the, this information and actually applying it to their lives and living longer, healthier lives? Or do you think it'll go the opposite way, continue to go the opposite way? Well, you know, I, I am encouraged that as, at least in the, in the U.S. and Western Europe, for example, and a few other countries around the world, there's this growing awareness that we've strayed too far from the secrets to health. You see it in the organic food movement. Yeah. Um, you see it in the prolifer- uh, proliferation of, of gyms and other ways, and you see it in more in natural parks and outdoor spaces and places where people can be physically active outside. You know, so, so I am encouraged with what I'm seeing um, in Western countries. Where, where is the future going to go? I think we're going to have a much better understanding of our genes. And yeah. you know what? There is no one perfect diet for everyone. We are all different. We're all wired a little bit differently. And what works for one person may not work for another one. Maybe one person thrives on a a high-fat diet. Maybe another person thrives on a high-carb diet. Maybe someone else thrives on a high-protein diet. There is so much that we don't understand. And I think as we look to the future, I think we'll have a better understanding of our genes. We'll be able to know what foods. And I really look at food as like fuel for our body. What fuels are going to be the 
optimal for peak performance, PFAS athletic performance. If you're in the business place, it's going to give you optimal energy. And I think we're going to really understand that. And we're going to see a lot in how we can hack our, our DNA, if you will, with the advance of, of, of science. And, and so I'm encouraged. I think that people a century from now are going to be even healthier than we are today. And we'll probably be living on the moon and working with robots all the time. Thank you to John Day, his insight on Longevity Village China. Now we're going to finish up with John Farwell. John's going to tell you why everybody out there should have Israel as the number one spot on your bucket list and leave you with the one piece of advice that can literally change your life. John, can you tell us maybe one, two reasons why everyone should visit Israel sometime in their life? Put it on the bucket list. <laughs> well, it definitely needs to be on the bucket list for a number of different reasons. But I, the biggest thing is, the question I would ask is, do you want to know your Bible? Do you want to understand the source of the story? Because the Bible was written in a cultural time, in a cultural place. And the best way to understand that is to actually come to the culture in which it was written. Now, you may think that's about, oh, 2,000 years ago. But yet, so many things in this culture are still relevant to the things in the Bible and how people lived, how they thought, how they function, and that's really huge to understand the story. Second of all is the land's the land. Um, my second master's degree in this is uh, biblical geography and history, and my professor would always say that the, the land of Israel is the game board, and the game board's never changed. The, the mountains are the mountains, the hills are the hills, the valleys are the valleys. And you can look at battles that have been fought in biblical times, and then you can look at battles that were fought in modern times, and guess what? They were fought the same way because the topography is the topography. And so there are, there are ways to live in this land that has not changed and will not change because it is, it is the land itself. And, of course, the last one is the people. And if you want to understand uh, what's going on over here, understand all the political nuances of things, then the only way to do that is to come over here. You cannot sit back home in America and watch the news, and I'm not making any negative comment on the news, but just it's just not nuanced enough to be able to understand what's going on over here until you come here yourself and experience and hear people's stories on both sides of the fence and understand how, they're, how they arrived to where they are. I heard a quote saying, if you want to have a, a good uh, afternoon, take a nap. If you want to have a good day, go fishing. If you want to have a good year, win the lottery. But if you want to have a good life, mentor people, help people. Because it's exciting to see even people that were my peers when I was at Purdue or out of just my first couple years in coaching who are now Division One head coaches. And I'm like, wow. I mean, I knew that guy when he was 21. And now look at him today. I mean, just to be able to be a part of seeing people that leave our program and go on and go elsewhere to do things and have amazing uh, experiences and, and be able to impact people. Boom. There it is. Best of the best game of life podcast coming at you, version two. I'll tell you what, that's 30 episodes of the game of life right there that we've gone through, and I have learned a ton. I hope you have as well. If you've listened to all the podcasts and you can go back and listen to them, just check out iTunes, link in the show notes. And I've listened, I've learned more on my sleep, how longevity, nutrition. I mean, I could be in the NFL basically right now, motivation, following my passion. Selfishly, I'm becoming the best version of myself that I can be. I hope you all out there are as well. 
And on this Thanksgiving, I am super thankful for all the guests that we have had on this podcast, very high level individuals, and we're going to keep getting more. I'll give you a little preview of what's coming up. You might be having an NBA GM, a Navy SEAL, possibly dipping into Hollywood a little bit here. We got a lot of interesting coming up, interesting people coming up in the next 15 episodes of The Game of Life before we go best of best version three, of course. And I want to keep hearing from all of you out there. I want to hear who you want to have come on, what topics you want to learn about. I want to hear your questions, your advice, your comments. Leave them all in the show notes here. Or please, as you are thankful, leave a review on iTunes. Five star, of course. I'm not telling you you have to do it, but do it. And if you do, maybe there'll be a piece of pumpkin pie sitting there on your doorstep. And as the best of the best version, there's no three-pointers this week and there's no sponsor. I'm taking this one on myself to show you how thankful I am to all of you. Let's keep learning. Let's keep growing together on the Game of Life podcast. And Go give your family a hug. Tell them you love them. And just tell someone how thankful you are for them today on this Thanksgiving. And I'll see all you turkeys back here next week for another episode of the Game of Life podcast. And remember, life's a journey. Enjoy it. David Nurse, Game of Life, signing off.